0: When all of it was breaking loose, one could have easily looked at the day of the disciples, the day of Jesus, and went, these guys are nuts. There is no way that this could ever last. Why would these guys put themselves in such harm's way by making such preposterous claims? Why somebody raising from the dead, somebody flying through the air to be with the Lord would be preposterous, would be a hard claim to make. Now, in, in Matthew uh, chapter 10 right here, I want to talk about um, the cost of discipleship. One of the costs of discipleship is placing your faith in Jesus the Christ. Is, there's is a cost associated with it. Now, when I say the cost, there's a lot of people that don't like paying for things, Linda. There's a lot of people that says, man, I want that new car, but I'm going to find every way in the world not to pay what they want for it. There's a lot of people in the world that says, man, I'd like to have that new shotgun, but don't want to pay for it. But there is a cost associated with discipleship. And let me tell you the truth, that there are people who want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, but they don't want to have to pay the price. There's a cost. I'm going to go over that cost with you. Today, It's going to cost you something. And you can't negotiate it. You can't go, man, I, 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 that cost of discipleship is 50 bucks. Would you take 25 for that? Because there is no negotiation. The price is firmly set. And if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah... In which he is and let me just publicly say that i believe in jesus christ i make my public confession before men standing before you in this pulpit let heaven record my words i believe every word that jesus christ spoke i believe he is the son of of the father in heaven that he's the only begotten son i believe that it was jesus christ who lived a sinless life I believe that he was the Messiah and is the Messiah. I believe that on the third day he was raised from the dead. I believe that he intercedes for me every single day of my life. I believe in the the filling of the Holy Spirit. When you get saved, the Spirit comes into your heart and life. I believe in the total word, works, and life, and death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't discount any one thing he said, no matter how preposterous how limited, how unreal it seems in the eyes of the carnal world. He called it, and it will be. He said it, and it is. Do I believe that Jesus Christ spoke the Word and this world came into existence? You bet. And yet... We see things going on around us and we don't want to believe in the small little things. There is a cost in being a disciple. Very much so a cost. Let me just tell you about these. Let's read together. I'm trying to turn this thing down so that it doesn't... Interfere with this. People keep texting me, and things keep coming on. In Matthew chapter ten, let me read to you. Start with me at verse thirty-one. I'm going to read. I'm going to read a few verses here, and I'm going, we're going to pull these apart. It says, uh, "Do not fear, therefore; you are more value than many sparrows." And in thirty-two. Can't stop these things. Do not think that I am come And verse. Uh, go on down with me to verse thirty-two. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. That means this: that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're willing to pay the cost of public confession. You're willing. To say that, yes, everything that this man said and everything that this man stood for, I believe it. Lacking nothing, yes, I believe it. Do you believe that this man really rose from the dead? Well, that's impossible, sir. No, I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Do you believe, sir, that he really hopped on a cloud and went, went up in the air with over 500 witnesses seeing this wonderful thing? Yes, sir, I do believe that. Have you ever seen it before in your life? No, I haven't. Is it something that the world says is unreal? Yes. Now guess what cost that is going to bring to you. That cost is going to bring to you some some people looking at you and thinking, "Well, well, this person's nuts to believe in such a thing. Now as we read down through this, he says this very thing in verse 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. This has been resonating in my mind for the last month. This verse of Scripture. I think I've even mentioned it in a few sermons here. It's just been resonating within me. We're in such a time of chaos. Listen to this. He said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Hmm. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Listen to this. Here comes one of the costs. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. That's a cost to you. He will accept nothing less. There is no negotiating. You cannot put your parents above God. You can't do it. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You cannot put your children above God. You, there is no exchange for that. There, it does, there is no compromise. You cannot put your parents and you cannot put your children above God. That is a cost to you. As a believer, as a disciple, you have got to... Listen, the mission of Jesus is more important than your parents. The mission of Jesus is more important than your children. Okay? Do you understand? Is that, can I get an Amen. Do you think the church operates that like that today? Let me hear an oh no. no. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Everything in the church today, 99.9% of churches operate exactly opposite of the cost. They put everything else ahead of Jesus Christ. Including money, including buildings, including Bibles, including everything. That their minds can dream of. They try to make a trade. And there is no trade. The mission of Jesus Christ is supreme above all things. Listen to me closely. Even above your own life. What do you mean, Pastor Jay? Well, let's keep reading. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. That particular cross or cost addresses you. You have to take your cross and follow after him. Now you've got to exchange self for the mission. The mission is supreme. What is the mission? Everything that has to do with the advancement of Jesus Christ in the world, from cleaning the carpet, to paying your tithes, to wiping down the walls, to unlocking a door, to turning the heat on, to preaching the word, is supreme to everything you do. Do you understand? Now, that should be a striking statement to you. Because that's what he said. That's what he said. This place's grass should be cut well before yours. And if your place looks good, this should look better. Because it's a statement to the world that we put God first. Can I get an amen and not a no me, please? Yes. Yeah. That's truth. Truth. That is truth. You shouldn't drive the Porsche and Jesus drive the moped. Truth. That's the way it is. Because he is the giver of the first fruits. Listen to this. I want you to listen to what he says. And we're going to break this all apart. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. What a what a, uh, a statement to have been made. I have to lose my life in order to find life? Jesus' words are in stark contrast to people that believe that peace on earth is going to come before the earth is regenerated. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace here with me. Peace ain't going to come until all this chaos happens and God renews everything, heaven and earth. That's why so many people be mistaken at this Listen, nothing's going to be peaceful as long as unsaved men are on the planet, correct? That's what the truth is. There's not going to be no peace on earth. Not until all things are made right. Now, you can have peace with God in your heart. You can have peace as a regenerated person with other believers. We should have peace with one another and love one another. Because that's what the Bible says the true disciples of Jesus Christ would be able to be identified by their great love that they have for one another another, because the prince of peace rules in our heart. But listen to me very closely, Jesus is not the one who's controlling the world events right now. This, the dominion of this world that we're living in, this particular situation, is God in control overall? Yes, He is. But right now, the dominion of this world is Satan's. The scripture says so. We gave it up. There is no peace in the world. The world can't have peace because the world's God is the devil. A true disciple must be willing to pick up their cross and follow after Jesus. And there's something that you have to look at here. Picking up the cross. This goes back to customs and mannerisms. And if you don't understand why that they made a criminal carry their cross for crucifixion, then you're missing the point. How many people in here knows what carrying the cross means in Roman times? Okay, let me tell you what that meant. In customs and mannerisms of the day, when a convicted person had to carry the cross to their destination of death, that was an admission of the criminal that Rome was correct in their judgment against you that you are scum of the earth. Now you understand the humility that it took for Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the God of this world, the Savior of us all, the light of the world. What humility it took to take this cross and carry it up to to Calvary's hill as if he was a convicted criminal. not. Going against what they said, but enduring the cross. That's what the Bible means when it says that. He sits at the right hand of the Father, and He endured these things. He endured it. And then you understand now the statement that He made when He said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. So to carry the cross is an admission that you're a guilty criminal. Charged correctly by these monstrous, demon, devilish Romans. And to be crucified was the worst of the deaths. It was was reserved for society's worst. But if you take this and look at this, when Jesus takes that very knowledge and applies it to believers... What can we extract from the meaning of that? That you too, when you carry your cross, admit there's a cost and admit that Jesus is correct. You carry the cross of suffering and shame because even though the world looks at it in that way, you must carry the burden of the cross because Jesus said for you to do it and His judgment is correct. That's how you know. That's how you compare. You've got to know what they thought and what they meant. Why did they make him? you got to ask yourself. I've told you guys this many, many times. Ask yourself. Be the investigative journalist, which is missing from this planet at this point in time. But be the investigative journalist that asks the questions, why? Why did he carry the cross? Why did they take a beaten and bludgeoned criminal and, and knowing that he couldn't make it and carry the cross? And then enter Simon, the Cyrenian, who comes and they compelled him to carry the cross. My gosh, a bloody cross full of the blood of Jesus Christ. And he said, Well, I don't want to carry that thing. I'm not guilty of anything. Do you see? Carry it. When they made Simon carry the cross, it was actually a confession that their judgments aren't correct. Do you see where we're going? That the devil's judgment is never right. That's a little bit, that's, that's not discipleship one-on-one. We just went to 102 level with you there just a little bit. Now you see some of this, what this means, encoded into the Word. Jesus' followers in carrying the cross is admitting Jesus' right over their lives. And in so doing, you will find your life in return for giving your life to Jesus. Do you understand now? That when you give up your life, you've got to give your life up. You say, what do you mean? The cost to follow Jesus is going to cost you everything. So, when you see this down here, the final statements of carrying the cross, what he is saying is, you got to give it all to him. If you're going to, if you're going to, you can't have your father and mother more important than him. You can't have your children more important than him. You can't be more important than him. And you got to take the cross, admitting that he's your Lord, and you got to carry it, and you got to give your life up for him. Man, I wish I could hear some preaching like that somewhere on the radio today. You ain't going to get it anywhere but right here. Because that's what Jesus said, and that is exactly what He meant. I told you guys the story, and Emily just loved that story. Of the man with the many rooms, right? We've all heard that, we don't want to hear that one again. So I want, yeah, I'm going to tell it again. Because Emily smiles every time. Look at her. She's just laughing right now. She's tickled pink that I'm going to tell a story. So now you understand the the meaning of that story. The man with the two-story house that got his house and everything that he wanted, right? He wanted it. So the man with the two-story house that wanted this house and always had wanted this house was pursuing everything that he wanted. Oh, he had heard of Jesus, right? Right? He had heard of him, but he didn't understand really who Jesus was, nor did he understand what Jesus really expected of him. So he went and he bought his two-story house. And he thought because he had that house, that Jesus blessed him with that house. Not understanding that Jesus' blessing isn't found in carnal things, but that God would provide everyone with a place to live, that perhaps in the pursuit of carnal things, maybe you're putting yourself and your wants above what He wants for you. So He bought the two-story house. And Jesus came to His door and knocked on His door and He came in. And the man opened the door and said, Man, Lord, I've really heard a lot about You. And I've really wanted You to come into my life too. Hey, won't you come on in? Come and enjoy this house that I have, that I've wanted more than anything, And Jesus was listening quite closely to the words that man said. I wanted this place so much. And to show you, Jesus, how much I love you, I'm going to take what I have and I'm going to give you a real small little portion of it and I'm going to put you right up there in that upstairs bedroom. And Jesus, you should feel thankful that I've let you in on something that's so important to me. haughty he was his mind wasn't right man's life was even better now he thought he was blessed because Jesus was living in his upstairs bedroom and he would think of the Lord every now and again when he passed by that room but he really didn't go up there very much not long after that, the devil came and opened up the door and had seen who it was. And the devil came in and wrecked his whole house but that one room. And the man in his haughtiness and in his wrong mindset, accused Jesus of not protecting him and his house and wondered why the Lord would do such a thing when he had invited Jesus in on something that was so important to him in this big house that he bought. And Jesus said, well... You only gave me this upstairs room, man. What am I going to do from here? Right? Now you're catching this story. And so the man gave him the whole upstairs and life got a little bit better. He finally pushed the devil out. The man's house was all wrecked with that one room. And now the man's life got a little bit better because now he's start, starting to share a little bit more of his life with Jesus. But the man's thinking still wasn't right. Even though he had been through this traumatic experience, he still didn't get it. He thought that even if you bring Jesus in a little bit in your life, you should have peace. And so the devil came back. The man opened the door after the knock. Seen it was the devil. The devil rushed in, tore up his whole bottom side of his house. The man still not... Thinking correctly, looks and says, Why did you let this happen, Jesus? I gave you half of the thing that I've always wanted more in this world than anything. And Jesus, trying to bring him to correct thinking, says to the man, You only gave me your upstairs. Look how good it looks up here, dude. The man looks at the upstairs. And he finally gets it. And his mind goes back to the Scriptures that we read. Anyone who puts father or mother above me is not worthy of me. And then he thought, anyone who puts son or daughter above me is not worthy of me. And then he thought, those who do not pick up their cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And he got it. And he bowed the knee to Jesus and said, take me and take everything I am. I'm at your service totally. I'm yours. My money, my job, this home that I lusted for so bad is all yours. Do with me as you please. The man felt a peace that he's never known before. Enter into his heart. He had a peace between in his heart, within himself, but not only within within himself, but he had peace with God. The man's approach to life changed. With the giving of himself to Jesus Christ, he gave Jesus the leadership of his life. And then one day, a knock from a stranger came to his door. And yes, the man went to the door to open the door. And the Holy Spirit revealed to him, let me get that. It's my house now. It's my life now. It's my things now. You gave them to me. Let me handle this. So the man looked at Jesus and said, You open it, Lord. And the nailed scarred hands reached for the doorknob and opened it up. And when Satan saw who answered that man's door, he bowed the knee and bowed his head in submission and said, For I now have the wrong home. This is such a true story. It bears repeating over and over again. This is where we are at. You have to surrender all. And He will accept nothing less. Jesus was telling us That following him had a major cost, and that members of the high society or those that's loved by the Lord is going going to become your chief adversary in this world. You're not going to find peace in the world. At your workplace, amongst your family members, and sometimes even in the church, you will not find peace emanating from those who follow darkness. People make the mistake that the design of the gospel think that their profession to accept Jesus Christ as their lord and savior exempts them from the exposure to trouble. No it it, it exemplifies. It, 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 it actually brings it more to the forefront. It zooms it in. It magnifies it. Because you become a very much so a different mindset than that which is around you. If the only way that we will ever know peace in the world is if the whole world were saved. And one day that will happen. Look not for peace, but for variance and division. The effect of the Gospel not producing peace, and this is very important that you understand this, the effect of the Gospel by not producing peace in the world, is not the fault of God or the Gospel. It's the fault of the people that don't receive it. Let's put it where blame belongs. Let me say that one more time. The effect of the Gospel being preached, creating no peace... Jesus saying He's not bringing peace is not the fault of Jesus nor of the Gospel message. The fault lies in the people that won't receive it in their hearts. Some people will, some people won't. You instantaneously have division. Instantaneously. When some people believe the things that's spoken and others don't believe them, The faith of those that believe condemns those that believe not. And therefore, you have an enemy. An enemy of your faith. We see this happening in the world today. The book of Proverbs 29.10 says, Bloodthirsty men hate a man of integrity and seek to kill the upright. Listen to this. Bloodthirsty men hate the men of integrity and seek to kill the upright. And the more that heaven is opposed on earth, the more bloodthirsty men you have, what do you think happens more then? They seek to kill the upright more and more and more. This upholds the statement Solomon made here, the statement of Jesus. Don't think I'm coming to bring peace. In Ephesians 2, 1 and 3, the Apostle Paul says for this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the Spirit who is now at work in the heart of the disobedient what does that tell us the ruler of the spirit of the air who is that the kingdom of the air that is the devil he's at work in people's hearts too and his work is to create difficulty for you to get you to falter and fall to blame you in the eyes of the world so that the world would never believe your message to get you to fall to get you to falter to shake you up to make you walk back on what you say you believe through squeezing you tight and then the world will look at you and say well why why would I want to live for Jesus look at Linda she's backslid God must not have helped her none look at her she quit and so Satan puts on the squeeze. You cannot falter. The only way you can survive in Christianity without compromising and blending what I call what I call becoming a chameleon Christian or a camouflaged Christian, blending in with the world is you have to give it all to Jesus Christ. And not be ashamed. For those that are ashamed of the gospel, for those that are ashamed, he says, I will be ashamed in front of my Father and his holy angels. What does that mean? If you're ashamed to give it all to Jesus, then God's turning his face from you. Not me. I believe. I don't always do right, but I believe. I am persuaded, as the Apostle Paul says, and I'll stop. I am persuaded that he is able to keep those things that I've committed to him against that day. I'm fully persuaded. Persuaded means my mind is made up. There is no doubt within my heart. There is no doubt within my soul. There is no doubt within my mind that God has got me in the palm of His hand. And no matter what hell this world brings... He'll see me through. And I trust what He tells me. And what I've told you today, before I started recording about things going on, that's what I'm believing. I don't walk by sight. I walk by faith.